door to the ark is closing. It's closing. And it is closed. Yeah. Saints, it's time for our Kaddish. Yeah. If you've had a loved one that is going on to be in the presence of the King of Kings in the last 12 months, please stand with us. Saints, there's a bit of a misnomer. Some have been confused by our Kaddish and think that it's a year of mourning. What we are doing is for one year after the loss of someone who's entered the presence of the King of Kings, we're celebrating the life that they lived and the testimony that they will rise again from the ground. Paul said that we are to be pitied among all men if it were not for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. The converse is also true. We are to be envied by all men because we are those that are ones truly free from the fear of death and the effects of death. We're going to read Job 19, 25 through the end. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. Saints, we're about to pray. Death, destruction, and difficulty has no hold on you because of two things. The fact that your Redeemer does live. And the fact that you will live and see him with your own eyes. Father, we rejoice right now. Lord, that we stand on this side of eternity free of death. Free of the fear of death. Free of the sting of death. Because you have overcome death. And we stand and worship you as your people in the earth extending your kingdom. In this time we thank you for those that have gone ahead of us. And we say let us finish our lives well so that we will rise. And see you with our own eyes mighty one. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Good morning, LCM. Church, this morning we are on fire. We are filled with faith. We're filled with hope. We're filled with expectation of winning at all times. All times. And today's date is January 21st, 2024. The title to our message this morning is Offensive Faith. Everyone say Offensive Faith. It is our aim this morning to strengthen and stir your souls to the kind of action that takes the weapon of your faith and utilize it to the full extent that God intended. The kingdom of God always moves forward. And what currently possesses is not only a faith that brought you into the kingdom, but more so a faith that advances the kingdom. The weapon of your faith in you is the foundational armament of heaven that first steals your inner man and then propels you forward to go on the offensive with that faith. Pastor, they thought we were offensive. LCM, you are the saints of the living God, the victorious church, and you have been equipped. You have been armed and you will win. As the body of Messiah, we do not, say do not, We do not give ear to the trumpet sound of of retreat. We do not predict the outcome of defeat. Nor do we station ourselves behind the defensive walls of 
what if. That is not who you are. Instead, we take captive those inner thoughts that wage war with our faith, and we storm the gates of hell with an offensive faith. This is the two-pronged solution to the two-pronged attack on the church of the living God. To put it more personally, it's your two-pronged solution. You are the victorious church of the living God, and our Yahweh Sabaoth, our heavenly father, has equipped you with the answer for every taunt of the enemy. Church, you will win. You will win, and you will win decisively because his spirit is in you and his spirit is with you. Turn with us to Matthew 16. Pick it up in verse 13. Say offensive faith as you turn. Oh, we on the move. We get up and we going up. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John, the Baptist, the baptizer. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Church, at any point, Jesus could have asked his disciples the question, who do people say the son of man is at any point? It could have been by the shores of Galilee or at the entrance to the temple of Jerusalem. That might have been fitting. But instead, he chose to ask them this question at the epicenter of the the satanic and idolatrous stronghold in Israel. That is the Mount of Hermon. That is where they had temples and shrines to foreign gods and wicked things happened. At that place, the Las Vegas of their time, he asked them, who do the people say the son of man is? Church, they had been equipped. They had been following him, but he was getting ready to give them something that they would need to carry on in their conquest. Here, he is leading the 12 men to the front lines of spiritual warfare and aiming at imparting to them what they will need in order to steal their inner man. Say, steal the inner man. man. And move forward with an offensive faith. Man, How glorious it is that our king always leads us into battle. And he leads us to the front lines to stare face to face with what he will conquer through us. Come on. So in this passage, to address the state of their inner man, what Jesus does is that he draws out their thoughts for the sole intent of removing a reliance on the thoughts of the populace. This was so that they could then possess a revelation from heaven that would not only bend or break under pressure or when facing death itself, It would be a revelation that would become a weapon, a weapon in their hand needed to silence their own inner thoughts and rise in their responsibility to further the kingdom. To accomplish this, he asked the next question in verse 15. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? This was the aim of Jesus the entire time of leading his disciples up to this battlefront. But what about you? What do you have inside of you that you know who I am and therefore know who you are? He's causing them to wrestle with the same question that we have been engaging the past couple of weeks. Who is God to you? Because that is the answer to every single question that looks to attack your faith. In other words, say it in Jesus to his disciples and Jesus to us right now is who am I to you? There's a personal relationship that's being provoked here. Why? Because he has spent time with them. They have seen his life. They received his teachings. They witnessed his miracles. But they were missing the key component to an offensive faith. And that was who he was to them. So how about you? 
right here, right now as you sit in your seat. Who is he to you? Not something that you've heard someone else espouse, but what you have seen the Lord do in your life. The miracles that he has brought about time and time again. Just the state of being born again. How he transformed you, brought you from death to life, and has continued to do so ever since. You have a relationship with Jesus. Church, you are living a biblical way of life. You have seen his miracle working power in your lives and the lives that surround you. But now in the face of advancing the kingdom further than before, who is he to you? The answer is not only seen in the next verse, it highlights the offensive faith related or revealed to that answer. So let's read verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In this moment, Peter stilled the inner thoughts of inadequacy of giving the wrong answer and stepped forward in faith that the father would give him the answer. So church, we said it in the intro, our only goal. The only reason we're up here this morning is because God has been stirring our faith. And it is our mandate to stir your faith because it is what he has already given you. Now, church, before this point, Jesus got all the easy answers out of the way. Hey, who do people say that I am? Oh, Elijah. Oh, John the Baptist. Okay, cool. He got all that out, out of the way to come back and ask him this question that he might reply. You are are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Church, that answer had to come from somewhere. That answer wasn't surface. That answer came from his soul. It was revealed to him from heaven. And that is what God is stirring inside of us. When we, when we get into a place where God, where our circumstances are causing us to ask, who is God to us? That answer is being stirred from the inside out. You are the Messiah. He is your Messiah. And he is the answer to every situation. Offensive faith subdues faithless thinking and never fails to try again. Church, we're stomping all over the fear that says, man, I got that wrong one time. Man, I screwed up when I stretched out. We're we're running all over that this morning. Offensive faith never fails to try again. We're destroying hesitancy this morning. We're destroying it. There is no such thing as a defensive faith. There is no such thing as a defensive offense. There is only an offensive faith, a faith that moves, a faith that is proactive and not reactive. There is only an offensive faith, a reckless abandonment of oneself because you know that you will be given the solution. We don't know if if Peter got that download before he spoke up. And you don't know if you're going to have the answer before you move out in faith. But you know that when you move, he will meet you in it just like God met Peter. Church. This is who you are. You are the offensive church of the living God. Peter is such an inspiration to us all. He's an inspiration because he was a man who began to learn how to still his inner soul and never fail to try again. You know, we've been in team meetings. That's what is one of the core foundations of developing in our church. And you know what it's like whenever you've given an answer and you try to give a suggestion and it turns out to be the wrong one. I've done it many, many times. I've offered up a lot of stupid suggestions. But that's not all I've ever offered up. 
I can tell you that the Lord has stirred each and every one of us in that moment, that crucial moment to have an offensive faith. It says, I know my value and who I am to my God and my team, and I'm going to rise up and I'm going to try again. The Lord put me here. I'm not dead yet. I still got work to do. It is then. It is then when you rise up and you begin to try again with an offensive faith that you hear the words of your king spoken to you just as it was spoken to Peter. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven, by the father of glory, Carlos. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What Jesus is revealing to Peter and the rest of the disciples is a two-pronged solution to a two-pronged attack. It begins with the first prong of the revelation of who Jesus is to them. Who Jesus' identity is existing inside of them. The second, and equally important, is the revelation that the gates of hell cannot stand up against a man who possesses an offensive faith. We covered this last Thursday, and I think sermons before, that the gates of hell are only a defensive structure, not an offensive structure. That means that what we possess, what is inside of us, is greater than the gates of hell itself. God did it for Peter, and he's doing it for us. This two-pronged... a solution is the revelation that saves and advances. When you have the revelation of who Jesus is to you and an offensive faith that storms the gates of hell, it is rescuing lives from its clutches, but it's also advancing the territory of the kingdom of God. What this also does is when we say it again, it quiets the inner man and it sets you down a path of victorious joyful and offensive spiritual warfare offensive spiritual warfare now you notice in this passage is something that i've overlooked for quite some time because of the enormity of what's happening in this moment and jesus states this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood so let's put it in more of a personal and practical context is that it's not about what you can accomplish in your own strength Without the two-pronged solution, without partnership with the Father, you you cannot advance the kingdom nor quiet your soul. But only with this two-pronged solution can we wage war when, because we are taking steps to try again and go on the offensive. Say he is the Messiah. Messiah. And I cannot be stopped when I go on the offensive. That is what drove Peter. Peter went on from this situation and made another mistake. But you know what Peter didn't do? He didn't stop because he knew who his God was. He knew who his friend was. He got up and he went on the offensive, and it's why we sit here today. Say because. 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 Isaiah 50, verse 7. So flesh and blood cannot, uh, did not attain this revelation, right? By our own strength, you're right. You can't do it. Because, though, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. The first prong is the revelation that the sovereign Lord and who he is to you steals the inner man. 
When you hear the words, sovereign Lord, what does that mean to you? It means he is in control. It means that he has it under control. It means that he has not left this throne. He resides over the heavens and the earth, and he has his eyes on you. The sovereign Lord remains in control. It was the sovereign Lord who helped Peter gain that revelation, and a fear of failure could not stand up inside of him. It cannot stand up inside of you when you quiet your soul by focusing on the sovereignty of God. I know nothing about Calvinism. Everything I know I learned from, from Treaster, the Reformed. But what I do know is that my God is in control of every situation, including my mistakes. Especially when I'm not enough, he is sovereign and he is enough and he drives me to move forward. Church, that is who you are. We are the same. So I'm going to ask you this question. In the impossibility of your failure and spiritual barrenness, who is God to you? Let me tell you who he is to you and who he is to me. He is the sovereign Lord who helps me. He is El Shaddai and I will not fail to move forward. All that, let's pause on that. That sovereign Lord who's in control, he is the one who helps me. And because he helps me, I will not be disgraced. See, all of this is, well, is, is capturing the solution to what goes on the inside of your soul. All that chaos, all that fear, all that anticipation of inadequacy is immediately crushed because you have now the clarity that the sovereign Lord is always there to help you. He's always there to empower you. He's always there to make sure that you have more than enough to win. And the end result is that you won't be disgraced. Isn't that typically the fear that begins to rise up that we're going to make a mistake and therefore be disgraced and devalued in our brother's eyes and the Lord's eyes? That is absolutely crushed with just the singular fact that the sovereign Lord, the El Shaddai, is here right by my side to help me at all times. The last half of verse 7. Therefore. Everybody say, therefore. therefore. I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. The second prong builds on the first. Because he is the sovereign Lord who helps me, that re revelation resolves my faith and sets my gaze resolutely on what he has put before me to accomplish. I know who he is in me, and therefore I will step forward to act in the function that he has made me. Come on. That's something that is not diminished. That is not lost. In fact, it is, it is empowered and breathed upon by the living God who lives inside of you. That function that he has designed you for, he is calling evermore to rise up in greater levels of offensive faith. You know that you don't need a title or a predetermined task to activate your offensive faith. An offensive faith sets out to minister to the person that is right in front of you. Why? Because the sovereign Lord put him there. If the sovereign Lord put him there, then he's going to help you, and there will not be any disgrace, and you will have a resolute, flint-like face to accomplish what he put before you. It's not that we know all the answers, but it's the fact that we know him. And that he resides within you and is able to lead you to a place of victory. Therefore, this is our attitude. 
that we will not fail to move forward and we will never fail to try again and again and again. If I look upon my sovereign Lord, if I look upon the one who is my rock, I can take confidence that he will not be stopped and therefore the conclusion is that I will not be stopped as I try. Church, you will not be stopped. You cannot be stopped when you have a revelation of who your God is and you go on the offensive. Peter was a flint-faced man. Peter was a man who moved forward. Pastor Matt is a flint-faced man. This man is chiseled. Look at him. He is chiseled in the physical and the spiritual. But why is that, though? Because no matter what you see happening in Pastor, Pastor Matt's life, he does not stop moving forward. The Lord propels him and he propels us. You know who else is a flint-faced man? Marlon Sosa. Marlon Sosa is a man with determination like no other. Marlon, the sovereign Lord helps you, brother. And because he helps you, what can't you do? What can't you do with his empowerment? Marlon is a flint-faced man who is always moving forward. And you know what else? Elijah's a flint-faced man. Elijah, you may have been here, what, four months, six months, it doesn't matter. But we've seen your countenance sharpen, harden. With joy, but also with determination. Let me tell you something. You can learn something from Marlon Sosa. Marlon Sosa is a man who you, sh you should imitate his face, faith. Because no matter what is happening, he knows his sovereign Lord is helping him, and he moves forward. And Elijah, you're going to do the very same thing, brother. Imitate his face. All right. All right. Question number two. In the face of your own flawed track record and being called in faith into the unknown, who has got to you? He's enough. He is the sovereign Lord, and he is with me and is enough in me. He's not just out there in the ethos. He's not up in the heavens so that we can't climb to him, Pastor Nick. He is with you, and he is in you, and it is his spirit inside you that caused you to move forward. Let me tell you something. Before I got born again, I didn't want to do right. I, 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 I had no drive to obedience. But you know what happened? When I got born again and I got spirit-filled, all of a sudden there was a drive. There was a desire. There was an understanding of the word that I never had before. Why? Because he was not only with me, but he was in me. And do you think that was for then? Do you think that was just for them when I was coming out of the world? No. It's for right now as well. As a matter of fact, it's even more so. We're picking up, we're picking up speed. We're going on the offensive. The offensive faith that you possess enables you to subdue your stumbling blocks. The stumbling blocks don't belong in my house. I kick them out. Offensive faith causes me to subdue them, quiet the fretful emotions, and become an unstoppable force. That is who I am. But church, that is who you are. That is who we are. We are those with an offensive faith. Look at verse 8 with us. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Come on. Bring it on. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. In fact, why don't you go ahead and lie down so I can remember where I left you last. <laughs> Do you hear the confidence in these passages of who God is to them? Do you hear the confidence that they will not be stopped? In fact, it has no fear of confrontation. It has no fear of being tested and opposed because this kind of offensive faith knows the certainty of outcome because God is on their side. 
Saints, we're called to conquer. And because we're called to conquer, we are also empowered to conquer. And that starts with conquering those inner thoughts. But it, it is also empowered to conquer those external advancements of the kingdom. So think about something here. In Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, Moses' own internal enemies were ambushed. They were ambushed by the presence of God in a burning bush. Come on. One that would instill in him from that point forward an offensive faith that brought salvation, deliverance, and advancement. The sovereign Lord was helping him defeat the impossibility of failure, defeat spiritual barrenness, defeat a flawed track record, and being called into the unknown. God was on the offensive for the sole intent to impart into Moses an unstoppable faith that would bring about the deliverance of Israel and a very, very key component here. It wasn't just for the deliverance of, Egypt, of Israel from Egypt. It was so that there would be the rising up of a disciple that would complete a generational work. Yeah. That chief disciple was Joshua. Joshua witnessed the result of a man who could quiet his soul by knowing who his God is and a man that would move forward in faith to prevail over the gods of Egypt, to prevail over the Red Sea, to prevail over the grumbling of a generation and bring them up to the precipice of the greatest time of their nation's history. When it came time for Joshua to rise up and lead the nation of Israel, there are several accounts of encouragement and strengthening being given to him with a two-pronged solution, one that would be essential to countering a two-pronged attack. In fact, Joshua goes down in history as being one of the most valiant and courageous leaders of Israel. However, several passages indicate that he had to conquer his own internal struggles before leading God's people to conquer the promised land. Can you put yourself in, in Joshua's shoes for a minute? You have seen Moses save you from slavery. You have seen him defeat the gods of Egypt. You have seen his partnership with Aaron. You have seen him literally split the Red Sea with the help of Adonai God. You've seen him bring water from the rock. You've seen him heal the people with the bronze snake by the Lord's direction. God used Moses to do that. And now it's your turn. Hmm. Hmm. It's time. Yeah. Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 8. We're engaging with it. We're, working with, we're, we're helping you engage how we engage with it. This is Moses' encouragement to Joshua. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. Joshua. He will be with you, Joshua. He will not leave or forsake you, Joshua. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. So Moses is Joshua's father in the faith and is now commissioning him to move forward into leadership to gain Israel's inheritance. Encouragement from the leaders, those that discipled you, uplifting, boosting your confidence. Hmm, I wonder who this is true about in this church. It's all of us. We are all rising into new positions and, new, and greater levels of responsibility. And you've been propelled. You've been equipped. Yeah. 
You've been confronted with the truth that says you will stand up in his office because God called you here. Moses states the confidence that he has in Joshua. Not Joshua, you might. It's not an if-then statement on a, a C++, plus, C++ plus program, Bim. <laughs> you shall. You shall. How is the Lord with them? Because he says you will not be abandoned, Joshua. Do not fear or, be, or do not be dismayed, Joshua. Moses is prepping him because he knows he's going to encounter some fretful circumstances. He's going to encounter some, some lion-like two-prong two attacks. But the stealing does not come from the circumstance. Church, your confidence, your certainty does not come from the circumstance that you're looking at. Your confidence comes from who your God is. And Joshua saw Moses model that. He saw Moses recognize and go up on the mountain to be with God and come down and lead the people as he should. Moses has experience in these situations. And so he's given Joshua the heads up. That's the first time he's reminded to be strong and to be courageous. Let's look at the next time. Everybody turn with us to Joshua chapter 1. Say offensive faith as you turn. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the Lord speaking directly to Joshua. But you know what's also happened? Moses is dead. Not there anymore. There's no longer that safety. No longer that, that net that can catch you in case you make an error. I feel that. It's all on you. Church, what, what the Lord is doing in every single one of us, not one person is exempt, is that he's calling us to rise in greater levels of responsibility and rise with the same encouragement that has always been given to you and that what the Lord has currently given to you, yeah. speaking to you. The Lord speaks to Joshua and reminds him of his purpose. And reminds him of the certain outcome of victory ahead of him. Because the Lord is putting before him, this is what I fashioned you for. This is what I created you for. And it will not fail to accomplish everything that I've said forth about it. You know what that means for you and I? Is that our purpose is still living and active. Yeah. What that means is that certain victory is at hand in every situation. But together we're going to stand and and quiet our souls with who God is to us and never fail to take the next step forward of faith. The Lord then restates to Joshua what, he's, what has already been commanded to him to be strong and courageous. Why? In order to overcome the, the feelings of being terrified and discouraged. So just as a recipient of this, I can begin to relate to this. All right. So Moses. Moses, my, my mentor, my discipler, the man that I'm modeling my life after, is encouraging me to not be afraid or dismayed. All right. The Lord is speaking now a second time to me to not be terrified or discouraged. These are the two avenues of people that know my heart the best and have the experience to know exactly what's coming ahead. The conclusion is that as good of a disciple as Joshua was, there was an internal battle that waged war with his confidence to lead had to be because God was moving him into position to bring about the fullness of his purpose and call for the, other pe the people of Israel. 
So now, now in the time period where he is absent of Moses' oversight and has now become the tip of the spear to go into the land and conquer giants, Joshua is receiving a repeated two-pronged solution to the two-pronged attack on his confidence and ability to lead. That solution is to be strong, or chazak. Chazak! That means to prevail, to take offensive actions in order to steal those inner thoughts that wage war against your offensive faith. It is not only chazak, it is also amatz. Amatz is to be courageous. Another way to say it is to be resolute with strength. White knuckle determination. That means that I know the power of my sovereign God, the El Shaddai, the Yahweh that is in with, within me, and no amount of opposition is going to keep me from moving forward time and time again. Let's go. I'm still alive. I'm not dead yet. I got work to do. Let me tell you something that's been moving me and moving Linton as of late. The sovereign Lord never calls you to great works without giving you the substance you need to have offensive and great faith. Whatever that task is, whatever that moment is, it is not as great and mighty as your God who is with you. And what he's instilling in our soul is an offensive faith that will not bend, it will not break, it will stand as an iron fortress against all opposition. The Lord is with you, saints. He's with you wherever you go, and that is how you can find the resolute strength, how you can find that prevailing tenacity to be strong and courageous, to do what your own natural strength cannot do. You know, it's been a blessing uh, time and time again that I have exhausted my own strength and come to that point of crying out to my God and experiencing a strength I've never known before. That's not on day one when I was born again only. It wasn't on the day that I was spirit-filled. It wasn't a singular season of my life. That's a continual season of my life. Why? Because the kingdom of God is always moving forward. And therefore, he's always looking to impart into you a substance that helps you move it forward. You know what else an offensive faith doesn't do? It doesn't wait. It doesn't sit back and wait for somebody else to do what God has told you to do. An offensive faith hears the word of the Lord. you, You wrestle with those inner thoughts and you put them down because you know the sovereign Lord and then you move forward. It's what Joshua was doing. It's what he was called to do and it's what you're called to do. We're not called to be those who wait for somebody else to do what we know needs to be done. Church, you have an offensive faith. It's what has been given to you. It's how you got to this very point, and it's how you continue. Immediately after receiving encouragement from the Lord, Joshua imparts this confidence and conviction of his offensive faith to the officers, and in turn, they instill that same offensive faith in the people. Church, every one of you are being called to rise in greater areas and levels of responsibility. It will take every single one of you. It will take every single one of us to continue in advancing the kingdom of God in this church. And together, we will steal our inner thoughts. We will take bold steps to move forward in God's destiny and his plan 
and we will not fail to try again. We will not sit back when there is something that we can do to push the kingdom forward. The people's response to Joshua shows that they possess the same offensive faith. It's contagious. That he did and encouraged him with the words of Moses and the Lord. Joshua 1, 16 through 18. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. I used to laugh. I, I, I used to kind of chagrin at this verse. Because I'm like, you, you didn't quite obey Moses in everything, right? But, but you know what? They saw Moses was a man who got up and did what God told him to do. And they saw Joshua was a man just like them who was a slave just like them. But he's stepping fully into and not only to the role that he's called to do, but the attitude of his Yahweh Shabbat. And they're seeing him and they're saying, you know what? We're going to do everything you tell us to do. Our faith is rising as we see you rising, Joshua. We are going on the offensive because we see God is leading you and he's leading us. They were getting it, LCM. Your offensive faith brings clarity of vision for others to join alongside you. There is no defensive reaction when reminded to be strong and courageous. You have calmed and conquered those inner thoughts and are now moving forward into the impossible and unknown with the power and strength of Adonai, Yahweh Sabaot, that he's pouring into you. Hope that gives me brownie points, church. Hebrew class. Once they set out towards Canaan, miraculously crossed the Jordan on dry ground, consecrated at Gilgal, and witnessed the fall of Jericho, defeat at I would put Joshua's offensive faith to the test. They were on the offensive. A single household in the nation of Israel took and hid devoted things of Jericho in their tent. And the result was an embarrassing loss and the death of 36 men. When you are in leadership, when you are responsible, husbands, say I'm in leadership. And we're setting out on the offensive. We're growing in, in areas of responsibility. And then you find out there's sin in the camp. That could cause the, the wind to kind of leave yourselves a little bit. Right? You're on the offensive. And yet, there's still things you have to work through. What do you do when hidden sin is in your home? It's revealed and the impact is a loss in ministry efforts. Your track record is marred. Failure is at the forefront. But let me ask you a question. Has the sovereign Lord abandoned you? No. I'm going to ask that question again. When you face a flawed track record, when you face sin in your family, when you face difficulty with, hey, say, finding a job, when you face difficulty in these areas, has the sovereign Lord left you? No. Has he canceled your call? No. Has he taken back his word to help you? Will he allow you to be disgraced and stained with the shame for the rest of your life? No. The two-pronged solution that we have been learning and living in is to answer the Lord's question. What are you doing down on your face? This is what he said to Joshua in Joshua 7. What are you doing down on your face? By stealing the, your inner man and getting up to move forward. Yeah. You move forward by consecrating your household and getting back into the fight. There is land yet to be conquered, and this is not the display of an offensive faith. 
what God is doing in Joshua and helping him through, he's doing the same thing for us. Time and time again, he is helping us get up off of our face, this faithlessness, to rise up in offensive faith. You're not dead. He hasn't canceled your call. He hasn't abandoned you, which means that you are the solution for the problem. Let me put it more practically. You are the solution for the problem within your own household. God has stationed you at the perfect place to be his arm, his weaponry, to put to death what is in, uh, an obstacle in your own household. Not put the person to death. <laughs> to put to death what is an idolatrous, devoted thing that has been deceptively put under the, uh, the rug. But the whole point is that groveling, mourning, wondering why this has happened has never advanced the kingdom. Instead, it has taken an honest assessment of who God is to you, why he puts you there, and to rise up off your face immediately. To get moving, to take the next step, that you are the leadership point of consecrating your family. You are the leadership point of advancing the kingdom in your family. And what happens in that home now begins to radiate outward and affect every other home. From this point forward, Joshua is a man who is on the offensive. And he receives another reminder of his call to conquer and divine vision on how to do it. Everyone turn with us to Joshua chapter 8. Say offensive faith as you turn. Shout it out a little bit louder. We're going to pick up in verse 1. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to I. You know what I hear in that is do not look at your past failures and think you just need to walk around that city or town and avoid them from that point forward. You're to arise, stand upon your feet, and go and face the very thing that defeated you in the past because you will win in the present. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only his spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Set up an attack that is going to be a two-pronged solution. Verse 3, so Joshua and all the fighting men arose and, and to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. I want you to notice something first off the bat. That the man of God never graduates from being attacked on all sides. He is reminded yet again, hey son of God, hey Joshua, hey LCM, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Joshua is just becoming proficient at countering the two-pronged attacks of the enemy. You know how he does it? By calling to mind who his God is. And then getting up and getting back into the fight. Getting back into the fight looks like stepping into darkness and being the light that awakens the dawn. 
being the very representative of God to make the title change in warfare to the benefit of the kingdom. Again, you have to steal those inner thoughts. You have to counter by moving forward with God's strategy. And what was an initial ambush on your faith is now being turned into an offensive ambush on the gates of hell. What this means is that at this point, there must be an immediate response, not a prolonged meditation. Well, do, do I go, go about making an advancement this way or that way? No, God just said, lay an ambush. Get up, move, take the next step forward. I am with you. I'm going to help you. I won't let you be disgraced. I will help you set your face like flint to accomplish what victory is needed to be done. That means there's no paralyzation through analyzation. There's no fear that sheds a tear. There's no dismay that makes me lay down in the hay. I am filled with the Spirit of God, and I'm never at a disadvantage. I see men in this room that are rising up, and I'm going to rise up with them. You know, whenever you begin to rise in your offensive faith, it breathes life into everybody else's faith. It inspires them to stand upon their feet. So you're not just fighting for you. You're fighting for your brother on your left and on your right because we need each other to win. When we look at that point, that it's not just Joshua that's getting up off his face and advancing. He's surrounded by 30,000 men of valor. 30,000 men who know and want to go into the fight. That means that all those inner thoughts that you're in this all alone, and that you're abandoning nobody around you is to help you, that's a lie. That's an absolute lie. It is of the garbage, of the basura, of the trash. I speak a Spanish today. Look around you, saints. Look all around you in this room. Do it. I see a church that is filled with men and women of valor that know how to advance the kingdom. You know what the evidence of that is? We're still here. And we're still growing. And we're still advancing. And we're still having kids. Let's continue on. Verse 4. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from it, from the city, but you shall remain ready. Say remain ready. Remember, saints, we're talking about an offensive faith. Don't think for a second that these 30,000 men were sent to the backside of I to be put out to pasture. No, these were mighty warriors prepared for battle with a mandate from heaven. You know who else has a mandate from heaven? You have a mandate from heaven. You have a call to warfare in this church. You've been given mezuzah. You've been given family banner. You've been given children to raise up. You've been given disciples. You've been given a job. You've been given a house. You have a mandate to advance the kingdom in every single area that God has given you. You got a mandate, Mr. Call. We're going to rise up. Like Joshua, these men also stilled their inner thoughts. They took full responsibility for the commission they had received from the Lord. Do you hear that? They didn't take full responsibility for somebody else's commission. 
They didn't, they didn't bemoan the fact that, uh, well, I screwed up last week, so I can't play today. No, they took full responsibility for the commission and the job that God had given them, the military assignment, and they stood up in it, and they got ready for war. They were completely settled in their battle positions, not settled on their heels. They weren't in a proactive position. They weren't in a proactive prone position. They were on the balls of their feet. They knew what their station was. They knew what they had been called to do. They were ready. And they were awaiting the command to go on the offensive. Church, if you get anything from today, anything. We're getting it. You're getting a lot. Amen. We're but what we want to convey is that the faith that overcomes is the faith that is on the move. Not the faith that's reacting, the faith that is on the move, that is ready to go because you know who your God is, you know what he's told you to do, and you know that there is certain victory on the other side of your obedience. You could say that these men were, uh, men with an offensive faith, just, they had an itch, to, waiting on an itch to scratch. They, 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 they were waiting, they were pining to get out and do what God has called them to do. That was their drive, that was their motivation. They were men who dared greatly, and they did greatly. They were in complete unity with their other contingents, and only together would they complete the ambush and rout the enemy. Pick up with us in verse 5. Verse 5 continues with these men who were at the ready. And I and all the people who were with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us just as before, we shall flee before them. What? And they will come out after us until, until we have drawn them away from the city. You know what? They weren't retreating. They were not retreating. Retreat is when you know you have lost and you are fleeing to save your own life. Oh, we're not those who save our own lives. This is an ambush. They're not retreating. They're actually advancing. And for the sole purpose of drawing the enemy out in the open so they could crush him. Until. For they will say, they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then, oh, then, you shall rise up. Rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. Saints, I want to tell you that your failures of the past can and will be turned as a strategy of strength in the present. Amen. The devil tries to pursue you with your own fears, which is now being used to draw him out in the open for defeat. This is how our weaknesses are turned into strength. You're put, being put in the exact same position where you may have fell on your face before, but God is giving another opportunity to lay down a defeat oh, on the enemy's plate. up an ambush. What I thought was my crushing defeat two months ago is now an offensive weapon to destroy the works of the devil. It is now an offensive weapon that saves the lives of others. It's an offensive weapon that gives them the strength and courage to have the same offensive faith that I have. Church, I personally, my family, have benefited greatly from the heroes. 
Joshua was a man who, who made himself the forefront, right? He was the leader, and he took on the brunt of the enemy's attack. If anybody was going to get uh, hammered, it was going to be Joshua. And he did so for his men to succeed. And every, everything that I have learned from the P-Rose that has come from the practical outworking of their own life, from the working of Scripture, from the, the tenacity to get up and move after you've made a mistake, everything that I've learned from that has only been for my increase. It's only been my inspiration. Matthew Piro is a man who inspires me to get up and go. As soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. Joshua is sharing the vision of imminent victory and reminds them to hold to God's commands on how to finish this fight. Holding to God's war plan results in complete and utter destruction of the enemy's stronghold. And it lights a fire. When a man knows who his God is, when a man stills his inner thoughts, thought and gets up and goes on the offensive, it lights a fire for the men. Matthew Piro has lit a fire for me. He's lit a fire in me. He's propelled me to greater heights. And that is how the kingdom advances. Yeah. And I'm not the only one. No. I'm not the only one. Marlon Sosa is a man that has been propelled by Matthew Piro. Yeah. J.J. Moloch is a man that has been propelled to greater heights by Matthew Piro. Yeah. Abin Boladera Mola is a man who has been propelled. Jet fuel. Rocket fire. To greater heights. Because of the face, the faith of this man, and the chiseled face of the man. <laughs> Go uh, with this to Joshua 9. I'm just trying to imitate Baj or Gina. Uh -huh, let's go. Us too. Yes. Yeah. Okay, can we say that I need my brothers and my brothers need me? Yeah. Let's go to verse 9. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and I, to the west of I. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people to I. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of I with a ravine between them and I. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and I to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces. They stationed the forces. The main encampment was to the north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent the night in the valley. There's a lot of meat within this scripture. But let me point out something that is pertinent right here and right now that I need every one of you to get. That in the progression of advancing the kingdom and God's will for this church body, God is stationing the forces. That means that each and every person is being placed in strategic positions. That the men in the encampment of 5,000 could not look at the 30,000 and say, what's wrong with me that I'm not in that group? The men in the 30,000 couldn't have that same perspective towards those in the five. It's taking confidence 
in knowing that God has placed you exactly where he wants you, but it's not about you. It's about the salvation in and of our people and the advancement of God's will in this church. Wherever he has placed you, trust me, it is strategic. Not one person is dispensable. Not one person is insignificant. Every single one of you are part of the army of God in this family, and every single one of you are needed to have absolute victory. What this looks like is that we're about to send off three of our finest families to Romania. You know what that is? That's a strategic position. That God is laying an ambush in Romania to take the gospel further. Take the gospel further where many have failed. And what we will see is an exponent of multiplication over there, just as we've seen here. What we also have is that in this midst, in this church body, we will continue to do what we have always done. And that's to raise up pastors and elders. That's to raise up teams of families that advance the gospel in their homes, but more importantly, going outside of their homes. This looks like living arrangements. It looks like home group leaders meetings. We have to always be advancing with the strategic position that God lays right before us and trust it and not count that our value is based on it. That our value is set before the strategic position is ever put in place. So what that means is that every single one of us is being put into position for victory. So we're calling you today to steal your inner thoughts of comparison and contrast. All have a fixed value. All have a, fi a fixed and strategic position. But therefore, with that in place, I'm going to say to you, church, get up and move forward with your assigned position. Get up and move in faith. Why? Because your brothers depend on it. This church depends on it. Our future depends on it. Say offensive faith. Let's pick up in verse 14. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Oh, if Satan would have only known who Jesus was. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua, and they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Flawless strategy. The two-pronged strategy of, of station forces allowed the enemy to become vulnerable. When we are operating in an offensive faith, we stationed where God has placed us. Even what appears to be a retreat is a forceful advancement of a counterattack. We do not go on retreats, not as men and not as men of God. We are on the offensive no matter what it looks like. So you run into a difficulty. So you run into an issue. You are not on the retreat. That is promised to a man of God who is doing his will. You are on the offensive and it's allowing your brother who is stationed to come for an ambush. So say you're sick. Sickness should not cause you to retreat or regression. Sickness is an opportunity to have brothers and sisters ambush the enemy's plan, and we're going to see miraculous healing. Amen. Say your car dies on the way to church. How about that, Lou? No retreat back to the house. 
but calling on the family of God to give you a ride to the house of God where unity and sacrificial acts of love bond you and the members of this church closer together. Amen. You might even had, have an Armenian man come and see all your church family come and help you and wonder, why do those people love each other the way they do? <laughs> so one of the most impactful moments of victory is getting ready to take place. And it's getting ready to take place in verse 18. Go there with us. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand. Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand. Before we read the rest of the verse, look at what transpired so far. Let's put it all together. There's a miraculous victory at Jericho that coincided with a devastating defeat at Ai. There's a rising up of a man that stilled his soul and got moving forward and did the same exact thing for the nation of Israel. He caused all of them to fall within lines of God's strategic battle plan to lay an ambush. And now is that moment. What, what do you do when you have stilled your inner man, you've gotten up to move forward, and momentum is being carried towards victory. You stretch out your javelin that's in your hand. Another way to put it, this is the function. This is the purpose for which God has made you. That means that this whole time, Joshua's been having that possession of a javelin. God pointed him back to his core purpose to be the tip of the spear in that moment and raise it up to bring inspiration to go to war for all of his brothers around him. He took that offensive faith one step further by going to the fullest extent with his call. He lifted it up. But here's something very specific as we read the remainder of this verse. Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward I. That was toward the very place of what was a previous defeat. That he stretched out the fullness of his call to bring inspiration, rallying his brothers to him to go back to the place of what once was a past failure. And therefore he was able to stand with his brothers in ultimate victory. The certainty continues on in the passage, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. So in this moment, the Lord is speaking to him about that next stage of advancement. And it's no longer be strong and courageous. It's no longer do not fear or be dismayed. He is confidently walking in the rock Kazakh Vehemats. But he's pointing him to what is in your hand. That's the very same language that God used with Moses at the burning bush. What's in your hand? What have I given you? What have I empowered you with? How have I designed you to function within this body? Lift it up. Stretch it out. Go beyond the means of what you think you can because it is what your brothers need for victory. Church, I'm telling you, now is the time to stretch out the calling that he's put in your hand towards those areas of past defeats. When fear of inadequacy tries to rise within your soul, stretch out your offensive faith that God will help you. He will help steal your inner man. He will empower you as you step forward in your function 
to try again and again and again and again. I look out and I see a man like Chris Riazora. That's a man who is unstoppable. That's a man who will not fail to try again and again. And I'm saying to you, Chris, stretch out your javelin, son. You have what our body needs. You have what victory needs within this body. The weapon of your faith at this moment then becomes an inspirational signal for the faith and call of men around you. Not only is your faith acting as a weapon, their faith along with yours is a force multiplier with you and for you. See, when that javelin was lifted high, that was a signal to set that city on fire. That would send up a smoke signal that the enemy who is now out in the open would turn and try to run back and flee to and try to rescue their city. But that would put them right in the middle of an anvil and hammer tactic. It would result in their ultimate destruction. So what happens whenever you stretch out your javelin towards I is that you ignite a fire within the habitation of what the enemy once had in your brothers, and it begins to annihilate all of those inner thoughts that have been waging war this whole time. When your faith is acting as a weapon, it's acting as a weapon that brings about an endurance an empowerment that will not let your soul nor your strength go faint. Let's go to the next verse. Stand up with us as we go there. LCM, God loves you. You are known by the Father. And he's put a weapon in your hands. Not a weapon to just to be able to handle the circumstances of life. He's given us something to get us moving, to get us on the offensive because he knows and the enemy knows that once you believe what he has said about you and what you believe what he said about your brothers, we're going to start some fires in this church. We're going to get moving and we're going to be inspired to grow to greater and greater heights. What I love about this verse and God's promises is there was nothing off limits for Joshua. There was nothing off limits for the people of Israel. There was no part of that land that was promised to them that they did not get. LCM, there is no amount of shalom that is off limits for you. There is no amount of victory, especially from past defeats. There is no amount that can be withheld from you because you are on the offensive. Verse 25 says, all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. All the people of I, but Joshua did not draw back his hand with its stretched out javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of I to destruction. All. Say all means all. God's mandate to Joshua and to the Israelites was to occupy all the land he promised their fathers. But it started by them giving their all today. And that's what we're stirring you to do this morning. Church, we're calling on you to stir your faith, to rise, to go on an offensive faith, an offensive campaign that doesn't wait, that doesn't sit back and wait for somebody else to do what God has called you to do. No, he put the javelin in your hand aside. He put the javelin in your hand, Steve Thomas. And when you go, because you're going, you are not only going to save lives and be victorious, you're going to inspire your brothers in the process. 
It's going to take an, a consistent and offensive faith. One that recognizes the anvil and hammer tactics of the enemy, steals those inner thoughts, and gets up and goes on the offensive. One that takes the javelin of your call and rises in faith and does not turn back until the job is done. So the question is, who is going to stand and stretch out in offensive faith with us today? Who will choose to act by stealing your inner thoughts and moving forward in faith? Saints, as I pray, let's take the active direction of today to steal your inner thoughts, but more importantly, to get up and take a step in offensive faith, to move forward. Today, be in prayer about those areas of past defeats that you can immediately go to with the function of your call and see imminent victory in those areas. So as I pray, let your faith rise. Let your tenacity grow. Let your voice reach the heavens that will express the offensive faith that God has given you. Mighty King of heaven and earth, we thank you for your name that's above all names and that name is inside of us. You have breathed your word of life into us. Help us still our souls. And now we rise up in our offensive of faith. We charge forward as a body that will go and advance your kingdom for our brother's sake. In the name of Jesus, amen. There is nothing better for the people of God than to learn to get up and rise up. Y'all want to practice that? Yes. We'll sit down and we'll get to do this again. <laughs> this is not going to be one of those hour closings. We don't need that. Offensive faith. What an extraordinary message. From Matthew 16... We learn that the first prong in the attack is who is he to you. This allows you to settle and also to stand. Then we learned what are you to do? We're to put hell on the defensive and move forward. That's what we're to do. This allows you to move and others to move with you to create momentum. Church, that's what brought you all here. That is who we are. That's what we do. My God, did I love Isaiah 50 and verse 7. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Listen to this wording. Therefore have I set my face like Flint. Don't wait to set your face like Flint. You can do it right now. In advance of the situation that threatens to disgrace you. I know where we're going. Because I know who we are. We're going to put 2 Corinthians 6, 7 on the screen. You have weapons of righteousness in your hand. You can have truthful speech about who you are. Who God made you to be. No more false humility. No more me. I am not nothing. It's not true. Have truthful speech about who you are, Molochs. Have truthful speech about who you are, Lohans. You've been here forever. We need you. We need you. We know who you are. And we know what you are to do. 
and the power of God. You know who you are, and now you know what you're to do. You'll walk in the power of God. Somebody say, I got weapons. Man, when you hear the word ambush, that's never a good story usually. And there was an ambush. That makes the weak-hearted little sisters shrivel up. It makes men stretch out their javelin. Yeah. When you hear the word ambush, do you immediately think of yourself as the one being ambushed? Because when you got weapons in your left and right hand, when you know who you are and you know what you're to do, you are the one setting the ambush. You need to redefine your thinking. And that's what this sermon series is all about. You understanding who you are and what you're to do. This is the answer for everything in life. All right, how many of you give two-minute submissions for our weekly reflection? Raise your hands. Okay. I'm going to give you a giant hint, as in a command. In Joshua 8.13, this is not the first time Joshua has found himself in a valley. When was he last in a valley? Yeah, that was Exodus 17, when he could still see the leader of Israel with his hands held high and a staff of God in his hand. And Joshua led the people to victory. Now he finds himself in a valley again, but without the leader that he loves. This church is not about making any one generation of leaders great. What a privilege it is to have been here for a long time and to see younger men, newer men that are ready to stand up into their role and you get to help them by holding a standard high. In Joshua 8.18, he stretched out what was in his hand, a javelin, just like Moses had stretched out that staff. Sounds like discipleship to me. It sounds like generational magnification to me. But my favorite thing, he did not draw it back until they had won. We're not going to shrink back. We got a new Juan with us. 17, 18 year old. I get that right? Something like that? He's not old like you, Spencer. He's not 35 years old. My God. We're going to teach them who they are. We're going to teach them what they're to do. They're going to learn to hold the staff or the javelin and not back down until the enemy goes down. That's who this ministry is. You think you got a two-minute submission? You better. I'm telling you what we need to reflect on. Because next Sunday I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to Gibeon. We're going to look at these men and the way they did this over and over and over because it is our pathway to success. So what do you walk out of here and reflect on? What are you thinking about this week? What your time in this church has meant to produce in you as far as forward movement. And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not a title. It's not a position. I've never needed a title. I don't much care what people call me. I know who I am and what I am called to do. Don't wait. B.
Be exactly what God has called you to be in any and every situation, and we shall do valiantly together. Can we stand to our feet? Ambush. It's not a pretty word. Unless you're the one setting it, then it's glorious. You can ambush the enemy in every situation by knowing who you are and what God has called you to do. Then you can't be drawn away after selfish ambition. You can't be drawn into faction. You can't be drawn into competition. After all, there's only one Pena family. Who could do what God has designed them to do? You're not competing with your brothers in any way. You're awakening the dawn, and you're joining with them so that we shall do valiantly. Ibrahim, your finest hours are right ahead of us. We're having dinner Tuesday night, Eve. It's going to be glorious. We're going to win in every way. Look, we are not a defensive church. We're going on the offensive. And the sun and the moon will witness from the heavens and watch us defeat the enemy. Let's pray. Y'all want to pray? Y'all still enjoy prayer? Yeah? You don't want to just beat old people to lubies? You'd like to pray? Spencer, my God, Spencer is an amazing human being. Lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your power, Lord, for reminding us again, Lord, of who you are, Lord, and reminding us of who we are. Father, we rest in you knowing that you are more than enough, Lord, in every situation, in every circumstance, Lord. Lord, we raise our hearts, cry to you, Lord, and we say, yes, Father, God. fan this into flame in a deeper way, Lord. Fan this into us more and more, Lord. Lord, we've seen this way of life, God, and we want to continue it, Jesus. And you're showing us the path to do it, God. And we will do it, Lord, as we all rise up together. God, we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.